This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. As we're getting started this morning, I want to share a chapel praise story with you. In 2023, I feel like God has called us to uh, take time in our services to celebrate the good things that he's done. And as we're celebrating those, we're also praying prayers that the stories of healing and provision and salvation that we have experienced in our community, God will continue to do those among us today. This morning's story comes from Richard and Erica Howard. Erica wrote, my husband Richard and I met and got married in our late 20s. Becoming parents was a huge desire for both of us. We wanted to start our family early in our marriage. After a year of trying without success and getting pregnant, we started seeking medical help in 2018. We spent three years investing in various infertility treatments, none of which worked. We repeatedly found ourselves in sorrow, including one pregnancy that ended in an early miscarriage. During this time, we discovered Christian Chapel, and we started to see God move in our lives. I was raised Catholic, and Richard was not a believer. I prayed constantly for Richard to encounter God and that God would lead us to a church where we both felt at home. After our first Sunday at Christian Chapel, we never looked back. Our faith grew, and Richard's relationship with God flourished. With the church community surrounding us and our home group laying hands on us in prayer, we did our final round of in vitro fertilization. We transferred two embryos in hopes that one or both would stick and make our dreams come true. During our two-week waiting period, We watched on a Sunday morning as our friends Evan and Jessica Myers dedicated their daughter, who God had placed in their family through adoption. Our drive home on Sundays usually involved chats about the sermon, but the ride home that day involved a conversation about a new feeling in our hearts, the pull toward adoption. In the coming days, we would get the crushing news that once again we were not pregnant. Our last hope had failed. I was mad at my body. I was mad at God. Why weren't his promises to me being fulfilled? Two weeks later, Pastor Chris spoke about how the end of our dreams or plans can provide us with space to actually discover God's plan for our lives. We left that morning knowing that God was redirecting us. All of our treatments and dreams weren't his plan, they were ours. That day we heard God telling us that his plan for us was adoption and it was time for us to walk in obedience. Within a few months, we found an agency that brought us peace and joined their waiting list. In the waiting, we discussed becoming foster parents. We had a loving and safe home that we would love to share with a child. This was in early August of 2022. As an elementary school teacher, August seemed like the worst possible time to consider serving as foster parents for the first time. On my way to set up my classroom in the middle of August, I stopped for coffee. The person serving me that day was a former student. His mom found out that I had seen him and reached out to a friend to ask about Richard and I's plans for growing our family. This mom was a NICU nurse, and there was a baby boy in her unit who needed a family. She couldn't give us details, but we didn't need them anyways. Four days later, we started the process to become resource parents. We were not naive to the foster care system and understood that the odds of him going home with us were slim, but we listened to God and continued the steps to become licensed foster parents. During the process, the nurse reached out to the baby's caseworker and told, us, told her about us and our journey. The caseworker loved our story, loved that we were open to adoption, and said that she would push for the baby to go home with us upon discharge. At the beginning of October, we received permission to go to the NICU to start bonding with this little baby boy. We understood that it could be temporary, but that didn't stop us from instantly falling in love with this precious boy. 
We quickly learned what all the alarms meant, how to keep the oxygen mask on his face, and how to snuggle him around all of his cords. He was a micro preemie, born weighing under two pounds, with lots of health issues and complications. God worked miracle after miracle in that hospital. And after 103 days in the NICU, we brought him home. We adjusted to our new normal of medications, breathing treatments, and constant doctor's appointments. Each day got a little easier, and we began to reflect on all the years that led us to this moment. We saw God's hand in every heartbreak and in every not now. Our son Wesley officially became ours on May 2nd, 2023, when his adoption was finalized. The wait was worth every tear, every question, and every moment of defeat. This sweet boy was God's plan for us all along. We are thankful for the path that God revealed that ended with our family. Actually, uh, Noah, can you go to that, that baby dedication? So in our 1045 service this morning, we get to dedicate Wesley Howard to the Lord. And I know you won't be here with us, but I want to share that with you. And you're, you're part of that moment with us as well. But um, each week we are sharing these stories to encourage our hearts that God hears us, he knows us, and he is always working plans to achieve his purposes. Um, and, and I mentioned last week we shared a similar story from another young couple of how God built their family in unexpected ways. And, and so this morning, I want to just take a moment, we're going to pray together, and we're going to say thank you to the Lord for what he did for the Howard family, but I also know there may be those of you who are in the room this morning that you are longing to start the family, and it just hasn't happened yet. There are others, uh, moms and dads, that, that your adult children are married, and they are longing to build their families and, and going through trials of their own as well. And so as we thank God for what he's done, we're also going to pray that he'll just do it again, and that these stories will be stories we get to continue continue to tell of God's gracious provision and his unexpected blessings. We pray with me. Jesus, we come to you today and, and we just want to join our hearts in celebrating with Richard and Erica and your incredible provision in their life. Lord, we remember the prayers we prayed with them for you to see the desire of their heart and to fulfill the dreams you had placed for a family. And today, Lord, as a church, we stop and celebrate your provision with them. We thank you for Wesley. We thank you that you have created a home for him and that you have built a family where others seem to think it was impossible. Lord, we pray your blessing over Richard and Erica. We pray strength over Wesley and his body. Lord, that his story would be one of your continual provision, your continual healing, and your strength. And now, Lord, we ask what you did for the Howard family. Will you also do again for those who are with us this morning who are longing to start their families? Lord, we pray for young couples who are just desperately seeking you, Lord, and seeking your provision of a family. Will you come today and begin to reveal your path and begin to reveal your purpose? Lord, however you choose to build those families through birth, through foster care, through adoption, we believe you have a plan for every family and you have a plan for every child. And we want to come and be open to that today. Lord, we pray for our grandmas and grandpas in the room who are, are praying with and for their children who are on that journey. Lord, here in Tulsa and around the, the country, Jesus, will you continue to be the God who provides, the God who heals, the God who delivers, and the God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. Jesus, we thank you that these stories remind us of your faithfulness and your activity. We give you glory for them, and we ask will you do them again so that we can celebrate your provision even more. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Amen. If you have those, you can send them to us at praise at christianchapel.com. We would love to, to share your stories. What we are learning um, as we're sharing these each week is almost every single thing that you are going through or God has done for you, somebody else is experiencing right now and needs God to provide. So your story is not only a celebration of what God has done in your life, it's also an encouragement to others who are longing for the Lord to do the same thing in their lives. So send those in, praise at christianchapel.com. We'd love to read them love to celebrate them, and love to share them. Today, we are continuing our series through the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42 today. Um, so we're, we're picking back up. Last week, Pastor Titus did a good job. We kind of had a little break week, and he talked to us about the role of the Holy Spirit in helping us hear God's voice and do what he says. Today, though, we're back in Acts chapter 5. And so if you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, we were in Acts 5, and we talked about divine healing and how the gospel is being confirmed with signs and wonders and miracles. Today, we're going to talk about how uh, the apostles faced some unexpected opposition to the good things that God was doing and, and kind of what Acts chapter 5 teaches us about being resilient. And so that, that idea of resiliency is something that we probably all long for. Um, everybody would like to be resilient. You want to be personally resilient. As a church, we want to be resilient. Uh, if you're a, a parent, you want resilient children. If you're a teacher, you want resilient students. If you are a boss or a manager, you want resilient employees. And so the, this morning, what we'll see is in Acts chapter 5, verse 17 through 42, is a picture of what it looks like to be a resilient disciple and how resilient disciples make a resilient church. And it's only resilient disciples and only resilient churches that can persevere and continue to be part of what God is doing. Now, this, this passage of Scripture is long, so instead of us reading it all at once, I'm going to kind of work through it as we go. So let's start in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. So the, the first characteristic we'll see of resilient disciples is resilient disciples are realistic. Now, the, the problem with resiliency is that you cannot be resilient without experiencing difficulty. And, and I don't know about you, but I want to be resilient, and I also want an easy life, right? Like, I want to have all of the benefits that come from enduring difficulty without actually enduring difficulty, I want to have the patience that comes from having my patience tested without my patience being tested, right? I want to learn lessons of trusting God with my finances without having seasons where there's no money in the bank. I want to learn that God heals without needing his healing, right? Do, do, am I the only one that's in, maybe all of you are like, no, actually, I'm just, I'm, life's been too good. It's been too good. And, and I just came today hoping God would show me how I can suffer. Like, if that's you, um, go to the prayer room because you need help. Like, that is... That's not a normal approach. That's not what Jesus is not looking for masochists who are coming just to like, how can my life be more miserable to make me closer to Jesus? That's, that's not what we believe. It's not what we practice. And yet we understand resiliency is the ability to bounce back in difficult situations. And if we want to be resilient, we have to endure difficulty. And so as, as a parent, what that means is if you want resilient kids, you can't kind of helicopter parent them all the time. Right? You can't knock down every obstacle in front of them. You can't blame every teacher who gives them a bad grade or every coach who cuts them. Sometimes your kid isn't smart or good, and they've got to figure it out, right? 
Like, you can't always do it. You've got to let them endure it. If you want to be a resilient person, you've got to go through it. As a pastor, I want Christian Chapel to be a resilient church, but I don't necessarily want the heartache and the headache that go with it. And so then we're, we're kind of in this tension of, well, I, I want to be resilient, but I don't want to suffer, so what do I do? Well, what we do is we just faithfully follow Jesus. And what you will find is that if you faithfully follow Jesus in a world that is opposed to him, you will have opportunities to be resilient. Right, and this is what happens to the apostles. Earlier in Acts chapter 5, they are, they're in the middle of a revival season. It says that people are coming to the church. They're being added to the church by the multitudes. They are seeing miracles and signs and wonders, miraculous healings. As Peter walks through the streets of Jerusalem, people are laying the sick down next to him so that just as his shadow passes over them, they are healed and they stand up. And, and it seems like this wonderful moment where the church is going up and to the right and it couldn't get any better. And in response to that, the religious leaders in Jerusalem arrest the apostles and throw them in jail. See, anywhere the gospel advances, the kingdoms of this world will unite in opposition against it. Because the gospel is a threat to people in positions of power, the gospel is a threat to systems built on sinful structures and practices, and so everywhere the gospel grows, there are always people who oppose. That's going to happen personally, that's going to happen organizationally, sometimes that happens on national levels or through political systems, but what we want to understand this morning is when that happens, we're not going to freak out, we're not going to freeze, we're not going to move backwards, we're just going to remember, Jesus intends for me to be a resilient disciple, and if he intends for me to be a resilient disciple, then it means I should expect some level of opposition, difficulty, or suffering in my life. I don't have to seek it. I don't have to run after it. It will find me. And when it does, it is not proof of God's absence. Oftentimes, it's proof that I'm exactly where he wants me to be, doing exactly what he wants me to do. And so the, this morning, we, we kind of try to put ourselves in the positions of the apostles of when they're arrested, what do they think? When they're arrested, what's going through their mind? And I think most likely what is going through their mind is, Jesus told us this would happen. Right? He's the one who told them, hey, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus is the one who taught the disciples that if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Jesus is the one who instructed them, you will be brought before leaders and authorities to give an account for your relationship with me. He's the one who told them, you have a real enemy who seeks to steal and kill and destroy. And so the disciples were realists. And they understood if we follow Jesus in a world that's opposed to him, at some point in time, the world will be opposed to us as well. And so for us as followers of Jesus today, what that means is that we live with an awareness that not everybody loves or celebrates the work of Christ in our life or the work of Christ in the world. And when that shows itself in warnings or write-ups, when that shows itself with policies or procedures that are at odds with our faith, when it shows itself in difficult conversations with neighbors or friends or family or teammates or classmates, wherever it may be, we're not surprised by it. But we keep moving forward. Now, now we're fortunate we live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right? And so any time in Tulsa I hear people talking about how they're persecuted for their faith, I have two thoughts. 
and one of them I can't say out loud, and the other one is always, just stop it, right? Just stop it. Like, I'm not saying there's not real, because I know there, there are little stories here and there that you can find, but if, if we will kind of zoom out and have a more historical and global perspective of our faith, we understand that we are very privileged to live in a nation, and particularly in a part of our nation, where faith in Christ still has some cultural value, right? Where there is still some level of respect, or at least some level of acceptance, now, I know that's changing around the world. I know that's different in other nations. I know as you, you work through history, you find examples of people who have been seriously persecuted for their faith in their relationship with Jesus. And, and yet for us today, what we want to remember is even though we're not currently experiencing that, it doesn't mean it's not still a reality for the church right now at this point of history. Right? And, and so we can never let the blessing of our life cause us to lose sight of other believers who are suffering. We can also never let the current blessing that we experience cause us to, to fall in this false sense of security of, well, everybody's okay with the church. Because what you'll find, and, and I know from conversations with many of you, what you found is there are a lot of people who are okay with the idea of you being a Christian, an idea of you participating in a church, of you giving your time and money to do these different things. But eventually, when you have relationships with people who don't follow Jesus, there's going to come a point of tension in that relationship where something they believe or something they practice is in direct contradiction with what the scriptures have revealed. And so some of you, you've had to navigate those challenges at work where there are policies and procedures in place that you know are direct opposition to what the scriptures teach. Some of you have had to navigate that in relationships with your friends or with your family members where there have been difficult conversations. There have been times you've had to say, I love you, but I cannot agree with you in these areas. I cannot celebrate some of these things in your life. And as you do that, my encouragement to you today is when you're met with opposition, don't freak out, don't stop, don't move backwards, but just understand this is exactly what Jesus told us would happen. Right? And so it doesn't mean that we are now more right because we've suffered or they are more wrong because they've inflicted that. It just means this is the way the world works. When you belong to the kingdom of light, there will be confrontation with the kingdom of darkness. When you belong to the kingdom of life, there will be conflict with the kingdom of death. And when those things happen as followers of Jesus, we're going to be resilient. And one of the ways we're going to be resilient is by being realistic and understanding this is fine. See, a lot of Christians where we kind of get sideways is we hold God accountable to promises he never made. Jesus' promise was in this world you will have trouble. We like the second part, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so we take it, we're like, Jesus, you said you overcame the world. Why am I always having trouble? He's like, because you only memorized half the verse, right? You, you didn't do a good job in Bible quiz. You go back and try again, see if you can get it right. But, but we've got to have a, a realistic approach. But a realistic approach does not make us pessimists. A realistic approach doesn't mean we have to be preppers and we have to store and we have to hoard and we have to kind of begin to build walls and separate ourselves. It doesn't mean any of that. A realistic approach means we know trouble is coming. We know sometimes it'll be unavoidable, but our realism always leads us to a sense of hopefulness as well. As we keep reading through Acts chapter 5, we see this played out in the story of the apostles. Verse 19, they're locked up in prison. It says, during the night, an angel of the Lord came and opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. 
When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Now, a, a resilient church and resilient disciples are hopeful. We believe that God can work in every situation. We eagerly await his direction and his provision in every moment, especially in our difficult moments. Resilient disciples understand that suffering, difficulty, hardship, uncertain moments or seasons are not proof of God's absence, but are often the direct result of faithfully following the path that God has laid out for us. We stay hopeful that somehow, in some way, God is going to show up. Now, at this point in church history, there is no pattern for the apostles to fall back on. They, they don't know, well, when we're arrested, what exactly is going to happen. As they're in the jail that night, there's no expectation of Peter and John having a conversation and asking James, hey, do you think maybe tonight an angel will open the doors and let us out? Right? They're just there, and they're praying, and they're trusting the Lord, and then an angel sh comes, shows up, opens the door, leads them out, and tells them, now you're going to go back in the temple courts, and you're going to begin to tell people about this new life that you found. And so the, the reminder to us is, is there's a, a little phrase in there that, that harkens back to a lot of the Old Testament deliverance stories. It says that in the middle of the night, he brought them out. And that idea of God's people being brought out of situations, it's meant to kind of trigger our minds back to the Old Testament. It reminds us of God's people longing in slavery in Egypt for a deliverer, and God brought them out. It reminds us of Daniel in the lion's den, and God brought him out. Of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the furnace, trusting the Lord, and he brought them out. Of Jeremiah when he's been plunged into the well, and God brought him out. Again and again and again and again, we find this phrase and this idea in Scripture that when God's people are suffering, when God's people are locked up, when God's people see no way out, God brings them out. And so if you're going to be a resilient disciple, it means you have to establish it in your heart before the difficulty comes that no matter where I go, no matter what I do, no matter where I walk, no matter what occurs to me, no matter what opposition I face, I believe that I always serve the God who brings his people out. Right? And it's a great reminder because some of us this morning, you are in a spot where your resiliency is being tested. Right? You are starting to wonder, is God actually listening? You're starting to wonder, I've been praying this prayers for years, is he ever going to provide? You're starting to wonder, is healing ever going to come? Is the relationship ever going to be restored? Will I ever kick this addiction? And what the message I want you to hear from Acts chapter 5 this morning is God has made his church to be resilient, not just in a large organizational way, but he has made his church to be resilient, made up of individually resilient resilient disciples, which means this morning, God knows who you are. He knows the situation that you're involved in. It means as we sang, every promise of God is now yes and amen for those who are in Christ Jesus. It means the same God who led the people out of Israel is the same God who will lead you out of where you are right now. The same God that was with Jeremiah in the pit is with you. The same God that was with Daniel
and the lion's den is with you. The same God that was with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego is with you. The same God that was with the apostles in prison in Jerusalem is with you. It means that he knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And he has made promises that he will save, promises that he will deliver, promises that he will heal. He has said that he will never leave you or forsake you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the details of your situation. And this morning, your job as a disciple is to be resilient and to remember, I have hope because he will lead me out. Where I am is not where I will always be. And so, so to be realistic, sometimes I think we hear realistic and we think pessimistic. We think, yeah, let's be realistic. Life is awful and it's never going to get better. But to be people of faith and to be resilient disciples is to remember that yeah, life can be awful, but it will always get better. Because Jesus is always with us. He's always working a plan. He's always revealing a path. He always has a way forward for us. And so, I mean, you can, resiliency and hope are so thoroughly intertwined, you cannot have one without the other. And so this morning, if, if you're looking at your life and you're thinking, I, I don't know if I can bounce back from this one. I don't know that I can move forward again. I don't know that I can believe again. Then, then let me encourage you today, your first prayer is, God, will you begin to fill me with hope? And hope is all about, will you begin to give me a picture of the future? Lord, will you begin to give me a picture of what my marriage can look like? God, will you begin to give me a picture of what it's going to look like when that child returns to you? Lord, will you give me a picture of what it's going to look like when I walk into that new office and I sit down at the desk of my new job? God, will you give me a picture of what it looks like when I'm going to ring that cancer bell and walk out of that treatment office for the last time? God, will you begin to give me a picture of what it looks like? And as God gives you that picture, let it fill your heart with hope and know if he's promised it, he will do it. And you can rest in it and you can hope in it. And your resiliency is not about your work ethic. Your resiliency is not about your determination. Your resiliency is not about your, your self-discipline. Your resiliency is rooted in the promises of God and the ability of his hope to lift your eyes up off of your problems and onto the God who's working through them. We are resilient because we have hope. And our hope does not rest in us. But our hope rests in the God who opens prison doors, the God who opens blind eyes, the, guy who, the God who makes the deaf hear, the God who raises the dead to life. And whatever you're dealing with this morning, my encouragement to you is God sees you and he knows you. And he has done bigger things for other people. And so today you can just live in this space of knowing he is capable and he is able and he is willing and he is working on my behalf. And I don't know how and I don't know when, but I know he will bring you out. As you keep working through Acts chapter 5, see that resilient disciples don't just have hope, but they're also obedient. Acts chapter 5 verse 27, it says, The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. 
and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Resilient believers are obedient believers. And their obedience is trusting that any time God leads me out, it's not just onto a path or a place where now I get to do whatever I want the rest of my life, but it's always onto a new path of obedience. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if I was the disciples, I might have been slightly disappointed when the angel opened the doors of prison and led me out and said, now go back to the temple courts and tell them about the new life. Might have raised my hand. Excuse me, sir. You remember that's where we got in trouble? And that's what we were doing when we got in trouble. Right? It, it would have been like me in elementary school leaving the principal's office and going right back to the classroom to do the same thing that got me sent to the principal's office which may have happened a time or two, right? And, but but it's, it's just that moment of like, I mean, this would have been Daniel coming out of the lion's den and God telling him, hey, jump back in. And it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego coming out of the furnace and being like, we'd like another walk, right? It, it's, it just, it doesn't happen. We expect when God delivers us from trouble, that trouble is now behind us always and forever. And yet for the apostles, God delivers them from trouble and then says, now go stir it up. And, and they, they not only stir it up, but Peter actually then begins to stand before the high priest and in, in very graphic detail begins to tell him, uh, yeah, not only are we making you responsible for his blood, but you hung him on a tree. You did, I mean, just bold declarations. And yet in that response from the apostles, we see what is becoming a theme in the early church where they're confronted by religious leaders, where they're confronted by political powers, where they are threatened, they're beaten, they're imprisoned. Eventually, they'll begin to be killed for their faith, and yet their response over and over and over again is, we must obey God rather than men. And if we, we understand this doesn't make sense, and yet the Lord has called us onto this path of obedience. So we're going to keep standing in the temple and we're going to keep telling people about this new life and we're going to keep going around town and doing the same and everywhere we go and everything we do, we're going to be obedient to Jesus. So resiliency is not just about your ability to bounce back once or twice. Resiliency is also about your ability to continue to move forward in obedience in the face of expected opposition. There will be times when you are faithfully following Jesus that you see the confrontation coming and you know, I can't do anything to avoid this. I can't change what the scriptures say. I can't change what God has called me to do. I can't change it in this moment. And you just, you know it's coming. And the temptation is to compromise. The temptation is to back away. The temptation is to look for a shortcut to try to get off the path. And yet what the scriptures are teaching us is if you're going to be resilient, it's not just a one-time decision, but it is decision after decision after decision of I will just keep obeying. I'll keep doing the next thing that God tells me to do. I'll keep following it. And if it gets me in trouble again, I mean, I guess at this point, the apostle's response is, well, I guess if we go back to jail, the angel probably kept the key. Right? Maybe he'll let us out again. Maybe we can get out again. But they, what do they do? They don't question it. They don't argue it. They just obey. And so they go back and they begin to preach. And as they preach, they're arrested again. And as they're threatened again, they respond again. We have to obey the Lord, not man. And eventually we're going to see they let them go and they go right back into Jerusalem and they start doing the exact same things again. That There is... To be resilient and to be obedient, there is this, this little element of like holy obstinance that you have to have. Right? Just, just a, a spirit-inspired stubbornness. 
Now, a lot of us, we have the stubbornness. We just, the Spirit hasn't inspired it yet. And so it's still getting us in trouble in, in certain ways. But, but as you're following Jesus, if you're going to be a resilient disciple, there's going to come a time and a place where you just kind of have to dig your heels in and know this is who God has called me to be. This is what God has called me to do. And this is where God has called me to do it. And no matter what may come, I'm going to stay planted right here. To be resilient is to be obedient. Now, the, the challenge for some of us is we can look back on our past and we remember some stories of obedience, right? You know some stories where, where you held on and you did the thing that God was calling you to do. Or you were faithful and maybe it cost you the job or it cost you the relationship. Maybe God called you to make a, a big generous gift and you took that step of faith and you did it. He called you to have a career change and you did it. And now you're in a new season where God is calling you into a new path of obedience and you want to use your past obedience as an excuse for your current, current disobedience. And my God, I did that when I was 25. Now at 41, can you leave me alone? Like, can I just get a year where I get to do what I want? God, I did that in my 30s when my kids were little and we really prioritized it. But now in, in my 60s, I'm trying to retire and I just want to go to the lake. So can you ask somebody else to do that? Like, Lord, I, I made the big gift then, but I've had my eye on this truck for 10 years. Can you just ask one of those young people still driving a beater to make a better gift? Like, can you, they need lessons of faith, and, they need, and, and what we're tempted to do is say, Lord, will you remember what I did? And then not get mad when I do what I want now. And we think because I did the right thing yesterday, it's okay for me to, to maybe kind of cut some corners, maybe just be outright disobedient today. Right? And what I want to encourage you with is we'll see this pattern all through the story of Acts is our past obedience is the foundation for our current obedience. And our obedience today is preparing us for the obedience we're going to have to exercise tomorrow. We never outgrow our need to obey. You never mature past submitting to the authority of Christ. For as long as you are breathing, he remains the one who is guiding every single step. And so when we look back at the past, it's not intended to be like, yes, Lord, I did it then, so leave me alone now. It's, yes, Lord, I did it then, and you provided, so I will do it again today. And I will trust that the same way you fulfilled those promises, you're going to fulfill these promises. I will trust in the same way when I made that sacrifice and you made a way, you're going to do it again. I will believe in the same way you did exceedingly more than I could ever ask or think or imagine in that season, you will do it again today. And we will begin to see opportunities to obey, not as a burden that is being placed on us, but as a path of life being laid out before us. Where it, When God calls you to obey, he's making a statement that he's not finished with you, that your life still has purpose, that your life still has meaning, that you are still of significant worth in his kingdom. So the time you should be worried is when you're not asked to obey anymore, which from what I've experienced, from a lot of mature people I've walked with to the end of their life, doesn't happen to people who walk in step with the Holy Spirit. There is no retirement in the church. There's only death. Like that's the, I don't know if that's morbid or not, but that's the, that's the only way we're getting out of this. When do I stop having responsibilities? When you die. That's it. 
right? Now, now some of you, we might see if you can wheel yourself out of here when you're done, because you've just worked your whole life. You've never known any different. But, but for all of us, we just got to come to that point of understanding of the path of obedience is a path God's going to reveal to me every single day for my entire life. And as you obey, what you're going to find is God continues to provide. So you keep reading this story, Acts chapter 5, now we're down to verse 33. It says, when they heard this, the the teachers, leaders of the law, they said they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And so what we understand as we continue working through is resilient disciples aren't just hopeful in a sense of maybe one day God will do something for me, but we're hopeful and we're encouraged by what God has done for all of those who've gone before us. Gamaliel's statement, he doesn't know it, but he provides a prophetic declaration that has been kind of the theme of the church. Right? He, he echoes the words of Jesus, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Gamaliel says, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. He makes a statement that has been proved true time and time again through 2,000 years of church history. For 2,000 years, every enemy that has tried to destroy the church has failed. For 2,000 years, every individual, every organization, every school, every business, every political party, every nation that has set out to destroy God's church has failed. The church is God's plan, and the church will continue to advance. And so as resilient disciples, our resiliency is not just rooted in what we hope God will do for us. Our resiliency is rooted in what God has already done for millions upon millions of believers who've gone before us. That everywhere the gospel goes, the gospel grows. And everywhere the gospel grows, opposition comes up with it. And everywhere opposition tries to strike down the church, it always fails. Everything and everyone that rises against the church has already begun the path to its own destruction. This is where our resiliency resides, not in our politicians, not in the structures of our cultures, not in our wealth, not in our intelligence, but in the promises of Christ that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Gamaliel's advice becomes the promise that we continue to see today. Anyone who stands against God's church will not be able to stop it and will find themselves fighting against the Lord. And so what that means for you and I is that when we are in a position where we are being tested, persecuted, or oppressed because of our faith, it is the Lord himself who comes to fight for us. And that's where our resiliency lies. To put it another way, we can understand today that we can be resilient because Jesus is always the right side of history. 
When, when you look back at church history, what you find is the story of Jesus intervening over and over and over again. And whether you read history from a Christian perspective or a secular perspective, the outcome is the same. In both accounts, the church endures. In both accounts, the gospel grows. In both accounts, culture is transformed. In both accounts, the schemes of men never prevail against the church. And so if you find yourself in a position of opposition, hardship, or persecution today, whether suffering directly for your faith or just a result of living in a world filled by sin, I would encourage you to stop and give yourself just a little bit of historical context today. Just stop and remember, you are someone who belongs to the resilient ones. You are part of the church that advances and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. You are part of those who do not shrink back. You are part of the great cloud of witnesses who've gone before you that testify to the faithfulness of the Lord. You are on the right side of every story when you're on the story on the side of Jesus. You're on the right side of every topic when you're on the side of Jesus. You're on the right side of every culture when you're on the side of Jesus. You will bounce back every time when you're on the side of Jesus. And so no matter how loud the chatter might get against the ways of God, no matter how real the opposition might become, disciples of Jesus and the church of Jesus Christ Christ will always maintain our resiliency because we believe the promises that Jesus has made. And the one who started the church is the only one who could ever end the church. The enemy has not succeeded and will not succeed. Doesn't mean there won't be suffering. It doesn't mean there won't be heartache. It doesn't mean there won't be tears, but it means there will be victory for God's people. And we will be the ones who continue to endure see the disciples' response as we wrap up this passage this morning in verse 40. It says, his, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Their story started with them teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, and now their story ends with them teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. To be resilient is to stay on mission no matter what your circumstances might be. And what we remember this morning is our resiliency is rooted in reality. See, unlike the world who teaches us to be resilient through our own effort, through our own discipline, through our own internal strength or the strength of others around us, who says that depending on if if your dad was at home or not, you're more resilient. Depending on your amount of education, you're more resilient. Depending on your child nutrition, you're more resilient. Depending on the state of mind you're in or the condition of your body, you're more resilient. Depending on the part of the world or the amount of money you make, you're more resilient. All of those things may be true culturally, but spiritually, our resiliency does not reside in us, but it resides in Christ. And it is shared with us. This morning, we're going to receive communion together. As the the band comes back, if you'll grab those elements. And as we hold the, the bread and the cup in our hand this morning, what we're remembering is that we can be resilient because Jesus was resilient. 
we're remembering that we can be realistic because he was realistic. He faced down the suffering of the cross. He faced down the cruelty of his crucifixion. He endured the shame. He bore every sin on our behalf. Because of that, we can remain obedient. As he was obedient all the way to the cross, so we can be obedient to everything that he's calling us to do. We can remain hopeful because the cross was not the end for Jesus. As we receive communion today, we don't just remember his death, but we celebrate his resurrection. We know that the sacrifice is what led to new life. And then we are just living in this constant state of encouragement, knowing that the resiliency of Christ now resides in us. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in our mortal bodies. That the Spirit comes and continues to bring resurrection, continues to bring hope, continues to bring life. And so as we receive the bread and the cup this morning, we receive it, not just looking back at what Jesus did, but looking at what he's doing right here and right now. He is still bringing hope. He is still bringing salvation. He is still bringing new life and also letting communion cause us to look towards the future where we remember we're doing this until he comes. And there will be a day that he restores and renews all things. There will be a day that he wipes every tear from every eye. There will be a day that we live in perfect harmony with God, with each other, and with all of creation. But from that day to this day, we live with hope and expectation that the Spirit of Christ dwells in us, that the power of the Holy Spirit goes before us, and that God has made us resilient through the presence of Christ inside of us. We bow your heads, we'll pray, and then we're going to receive communion together. Jesus, we come to you today, and we thank you that what you call us to do, you equip us to do. So Lord, will you come in these moments, and for those who feel beaten down and discouraged, for those who are unsure if they will bounce back again, as they receive communion today, may they receive an infusion of power and hope and encouragement from your spirit. Jesus, as we receive communion, we remember that your sacrifice was for us, that your new life is for us, and that we can live a path of obedience because you are with us and go before us. So Jesus, today, will you forgive us of every sin? Will you cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness? And will you lead us on the path of life that you have before us? In your name we pray, amen. You take the bread with me. the cup. You've finished receiving communion. We stand with us. The band's going to lead us in just a, a wonderful song this morning that reminds us of the power and the promises of God. Reminds us that, that he does all the things that he's promised to do. And that our resiliency rests in his power and his provision. If you'd like someone to pray with you about some specific needs you have in your life, maybe to begin your relationship with Jesus or, or some areas where you just really need to be resilient today. If you'll head out the back doors and to your left, our pastors and prayer team members are waiting for you in the prayer room. If you're online, you can do that at christianchapel.com prayer. We want to take a few moments to respond to what the Lord is saying to us and to remember that every promise he has made is fulfilled through the power and presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of us. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.